Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. To be resilient means, you know, to never rest on your laurels, and meaning that, you know, we've discussed this, use outbound strategies, use inbound strategies, try this, try that. That's being resilient by constantly trying something different, finding what's working, because sooner or later, it'll, it'll fall your way and someone will fall your way. In today's economy, more people than ever are looking to buy and sell businesses. But how do you do it? Welcome to The Deal Board, presented by Transworld Business Advisors. Straight talk about real deals and real people. Listen to stories, interviews, and expert advice to help your business sale, merger, or acquisition process. Now, here are your business exit experts, Andy and Jessica. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the Deal Board podcast. And we have a great episode for you because one of the big topics out there in the small business world is hiring employees. And it is so difficult to hire employees these days. And many of our listeners and many of the small businesses we deal with are really upset. In fact, a very prominent a uh, chef that I know, been on Chopped, been on Beat Bobby Flay. She just sold their restaurant because she just couldn't put up with it anymore. Both two things, employment and supplies and customers being nasty. So, you know, just burnt out by it. So it's a real topic these days. Yeah. And we've heard this from a lot of our clients, both on the buy and the sell side is a major concern is how can I find, retain and, 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 find the right people? And then how can I protect myself in an ever-changing employment environment? So we've got two great episodes or two great interviews today. Uh, we picked experts in both uh, sourcing and recruiting and legal. So I interviewed a friend of mine, Dave Bacon. He's with BW Bacon. It's a technical recruiting company. They've been in business for 20 years. And, and why I loved bringing Dave on is because he's been recruiting people in technology and IT, which has been ultra competitive for like the last 10 years. And some of the things that they're able to do to creatively source and retain employees for their clients, I think can be applied to small business. So we talk a lot a bit about, about sourcing. We talk about pipelines, um, really how to create an environment that attracts employees to you. Overall, Dave's just, he's a really funny guy too. He just started on a, a reality TV show on the Discovery Channel called Race to the Center of the Earth. So he's always got a out of the box perspective on all things, including business. And Andy, you had a great interview as well. I, I, I had another pro. I mean, we yeah. keep getting these pros to come on. So I had Royal Oaks from Hinshaw Law in LA. He happens to be uh, the NBC4 a legal analyst, and he's been on the Today Show 2020, so many other things, and he has his own podcast. He's been uh, the legal an analyst for ABC Radio. He's really a great guy, and he's going to talk about how how businesses get in trouble these days, and you're seeing it more and more. Of course, he's in California, talk about labor law issues, uh, but you're seeing those kind of things spread across the United States as well as internationally. We talk a lot about uh, trying to hire independent contractors, which is getting tougher. They did defeat a bill in California that had to deal with independent contractors, but uh, that battle is not over. And so 
Uh, Royal talks a lot about uh, the things you can do to protect yourself. So we've got two great interviews today or hoping to bring some value, whether you're, you know, in the process of selling your business or you've just bought a business and you're trying to grow it and you're facing this tight hiring market and trying to figure out how to increase your team size or just retain your team. Um, so we hope you get a lot of good notes out of this and it provides value for your business. Yep. That and a couple listings of the week and deal of the week as well. So let's get to it. Let's do it. Transworld Business Advisors is the world's largest business brokerage and mergers and acquisitions firm with over 500 brokers in nearly 200 offices worldwide. Transworld's team handles thousands of business sales every year. To be connected with a qualified business broker or learn more about the buying and selling process, visit tworld.com forward slash the deal board or call 888-719-9098. Well, welcome back, everybody. And as you know, today on the deal board, we're talking about hiring and recruiting. And we've heard from lots of our clients that in getting ready to sell, there's a lot of issues going on in the hiring market. And it's just a really tight market right now. And we know that buyers find your team valuable. It's one of the top reasons that someone wants to buy your business is because of the team and the culture you've built. So I'm very excited to have with me a friend of mine from Entrepreneurs Organization, Dave Bacon. Dave is the founder and CEO of BW Bacon, which is a technical recruiting firm. He's going to tell us a little bit about that. Um, But he's been in business now for, what, 20 years, Dave, right? I have, yes. Thank you, Jessica. I started the company 20 years ago this November. Yeah. So, um, you know, besides BW Bacon, he's got a lot of other passions um, that I'm sure we'll get threaded into this conversation. But Dave, welcome to the deal board. And why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Pleasure to be here, Jessica. Hello, listeners. Uh, Yeah, I grew up in California. I call Colorado home. I've been here for 25 years. I've got three kids. And I have this glorious staffing business that um, uh, I have owned and operated for 20 years and am blessed to have a, uh, an incredible group of coworkers that uh, I get to call my team. Um, so we work with um, a wide range of businesses, anything from startups to large enterprises. Um, we help these companies to grow um, specifically by helping them find, uh, identify, and hire um, high-level technology talent. Um, you know, through these 20 years, uh, I can say I have never seen a market this tight, and um, it's it's you know it was it was a tight market in tech, as we all know it has been for years. I mean the demand for technology resources has been absolutely pulsating for as long as I can remember. It's one of the reasons I'm in this business, um, and one of the things I absolutely love is working with founders and helping to grow their companies. So the, the these technology people. Uh, like anyone that our listeners might hire, we covet every single person we hire. We absolutely covet them for what they can do to contribute to our organization and for what they can do to contribute to our vision. And leaning, you know, going into COVID, the market was tight, but coming out of it, it's even tighter. Remote hiring, especially, has absolutely um, changed the game. And in many respects, it is a blessing. And in many respects, it is a curse. A lot of our clients have now adapted or adopted a certain level of being able to hire a distributed workforce in a remote capacity, um, which is great. That that enables them to perhaps hire with more diversity, 
um, it gives them a greater candidate pool. But guess what? Uh, that candidate pool now has a much bigger pond to piss in, to, to, not to piss in, a yeah. great bit, a much bigger pond from which to fish in. And yeah. that really, that, that pond is planet Earth. Um, so that talent now is coveted by, you know, everyone from coast to coast and all over uh, who've adopted to, to remote hiring. So it makes it very, very, you know, the, it's, it's really hard to hire and demand for a lot of industries, but especially tech, uh, for good people is just off the charts. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's just crazy across across the board. And I thought, why bring you on? Because tech has been tight and competitive for years, right? It's now mm. even more so. But some of the other industries um, that we deal with a lot, they, they, this might be the first time they're seeing this tight of a hiring market. So yeah. we touched on a little bit of remote hiring. I mean, is that kind of like? a prerequisite for a lot of your candidates now? Are they are they looking for remote work? Is that one of the boxes they need to check? It is, and in a big way. And it's a box that they've wanted to check for many years, and now they can not just check it, but demand it. Um, you know, and, and really internally with a lot of our clients, a lot of hiring managers have wanted to hire remote, knowing that they could hire a, a a workforce and an effective workforce in that capacity. But for whatever reasons, a lot of it has to do with just how the company's always, always worked, right? Or if they are, um, you know, if they have a parent company, that's how the parent company works and they've got to be in the office. Or if there's, you know, investors and VCs, they may want to see things a little bit differently. Um, but now that table has changed, that table's turned. And so it's, it's something that, the, the workforce itself, all those people in tech have been wanting and now can demand and ask for um, uh, with, you know, in a really qualified manner. But it's also something that internally a lot of, a lot of companies have been looking to do too. Now, doing it right is another story, right? That's right. a big, you know, that's a, that's a culture shift. And, and, you know, that's not totally what we're here to talk about entirely. But if your company can consider, geez, could this job be done remotely? Um, I would surmise that you would greatly expand your candidate pool. Mm, yeah, I mean, you're pulling from candidates, like you said, not just all over the US, but globally as well. Yeah, right? yep. yeah, absolutely. So what else are you seeing in the marketplace? Are there, are there any other shifts like that that are driven from the candidate side? Or is, is the tight in the market really just there's more jobs and there's people looking right now? There's certainly more jobs than there are people looking. I mean, there's a lot of talk about, you know, on a macro scale, this great resignation, right? And um, it has a lot of people very anxious. And it, a lot of that conversation has to do with, do we pull people back and back on site? I talked to a CIO um, just last week who mentioned, but by virtue of various surveys, he's expecting that maybe two thirds of his of his team is likely to leave if he moves them on site. Yet he faces the pressure of having them on site. Um, so that's the antithesis of of being remote is trying to bring people back in. You may lose people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, another another shift, something that we're seeing, salaries. I mean, it, it is really hard to hire when you have a staff who you have, you know, who is loyal to you, you've paid them a certain salary, you give them 
some you've given them promotions, they're they're in line with with you know with with each other, and yet everything you see in the market is is you know is higher than what you can pay, mm-hmm. and that's been um, very challenging for a lot of our clients, um, and I suspect some of yours too, where. Um, you know, I mean, here, listen to this. We do an annual salary survey, and this year's annual salary survey, we needed it was basically superfluous in like four months. So we redid it wow. about three months ago. At this point, it's almost superfluous again. Like, what's the point of doing an annual salary survey if they if prices just keep going up? I mean, it's almost yeah. like an inflationary scale. And so, you know, it's almost a scale than it is a you know an annual guide. Um and that's that's certainly indicative of the kinds of things that we are seeing and the kinds of pressures and tough decisions that our clients are having to make um, in, in terms of how do we hire. We have one client who, um, and I, I love this model, um, they are pushing more towards a four-day work, work week. Mm-hmm. And they're not only pushed, they, they're not trying to make you work more of those four days. Um, but they are asking that they, they believe that they can get more done in four days with a, with, with really focused roles and responsibilities and great leadership. And in that asking people to consider taking, you know, uh, four fifths of your normal salary. So you might ask yourself, could I do this? You know, but, and so we're asking candidates, does that kind of a, of a job offer you better balance to parent your kids? perhaps to do side work, to pursue other passions? Is that actually the type of life design that you want to create? So we're, that's that's one thing that that I we've seen with one client and I suspect we'll see with more. It's very interesting, especially too, as there's more pressures to balance life, right? As we all kind of got this great pause and then going back and facing a very hectic work week, you know, four-fifths of a week doesn't sound too bad for some people. Doesn't, doesn't sound too bad. And if you yeah. thread in some remote there, that's great. You know, um, equity is something that's that's really uh, um, top of mind in in our in our field. Um, you know, when we're working with high end software engineers and product managers and people that are building a product, where the the goal of many of our clients is to have an exit, and I suspect many of yours are too. Right. Um, where you know, equity becomes something that that is if you can find room in the cap table, if you can, if you can, you know, work that through with your, with your employees, it can be the difference maker between them accepting your offer or going with another offer. Um, every industry is different, you know, um, and, and certainly equity is different. It can be um, misunderstood very, very easily. Um, but um, even, even a little bit of equity can be something really meaningful to create ownership. And can also be a, an innovative strategy towards um, uh, not only um, uh, attrition prevention, but also um, you know uh, attraction to to new employees as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And like, yes, most of our listeners are probably shooting for an exit. And we know equity is talked a lot about in in the tech space and software, but not so much in more of the traditional industries. But it can still be used very powerfully. It won't yes. the sale. Sometimes it'll help. Um, and there's a lot of creative ways. I'm sure some of our legal partners would love to talk about all the different legal ways you can offer equity without impeding your control over a sale. So absolutely, yeah, yeah. 
So we started to like kind of pivot into the, the creativeness, but let's talk a little bit. We'll lay the groundwork. So let's say the average listener to us today, Dave, is, you know, they haven't done a whole lot of creative techniques in hiring. Maybe they've just posted their job ads on Craigslist, Craigslist or LinkedIn or whatever the, the, the method they've been using in the past. And it's not working, right? So that's a lot of the frustration where we've heard is yeah. the path I've used before isn't working. So from your client experience, from your personal experience, what are, what are some things that some of our business owners can do to position themselves to attract better talents or find better talent? Super. Well, I, I mentioned the equity piece um, that that can help, of course, um, you know, having those kinds of conversations is one thing. And, you know, those kinds of conversations don't even happen until you're actually talking to a candidate. So a lot of what you're talking about is sourcing, mm-hmm. sourcing people. Um, and there's sort of two ways to look at sourcing. There's the air cover that um, an inbound strategy can support. Um, so inbound strategies would be to post uh, a job up on LinkedIn um, or on any kind of an industry-specific type of job board or something like that, certainly on your website or Craigslist or anything like that. Um, in our industry, that is almost totally ineffective. The type of talent that we work with is simply not applying to jobs. Um, you have to go find them. So that's more of that outbound strategy. How do you find them? Um, If as a listener, if you have not established any kind of internal referral bonuses, um, that's an absolutely tremendous way to build a team to incentivize your internal staff by helping to find the people that you need to grow. Um, That is certainly one thing to to do. Um, You know, another thing might be to talk with some type of an agency like ours, certainly, where they may have a specialization in industrial recruiting or whatever it is that is specific to your business. Many of those agencies will work on a contingency fee basis where any kind of a fee is based only upon the placement. There's no actual spend unless that agency places someone. And even when they place someone, the fee itself is secured with a relative guarantee that you negotiate with the agency. It might be 60 days, 90 days, something like that. Something you could work out where, you know, uh, even even paying for the the hire, at least if they don't work out within a few weeks, you haven't lost all that money. Um, And I encourage that if people take that strategy, that they work out, um, you know, some type of volume type of discounts, or, you know, you look at things in a creative way where, Hey, the fee might be X on the first hire, but what after after the fifth hire? Where you know can we scale that down? Most agencies should be very receptive to that kind of thing. Um, so that's certainly something too. Um, you know, otherwise, you know, another it's kind of a cross between outbound and inbound. But I mean, you know, we do a lot of work to align our our marketing and sales where we are creating content um, that's very very specific to our industry. And, you know, I suspect that every single one of your listeners who's a business owner is a master of his or her craft in whatever it is that they do. And they probably have seen the kinds of things in their industry that they have a very unique position on and that they can speak with with a certain level of authority. Um, Creating content can be a drag for a business owner. They might not be the best writer. They don't have the time. You can hire a ghostwriter to do these kinds of things or, or 
uh, a small marketing agency to help you for a relatively low amount. But getting your getting your your voice out there um, can be incredibly effective to substantiate uh, you know the value of your company, what you're all about. Um, I actually think that that speaking of value, that in any kind of an acquisition or an exit, besides looking at people, besides looking at at process, besides looking at recurring revenue, uh, and looking at training programs, that they'd also look at you know your your you know the the maturity level of your marketing and, and that kind of a strategy and what your voice is and what your brand is. So that can certainly be a really good way to escalate and elevate some of the outbound postings that you've already got going as well. Um, you know, we've seen some sign-on bonuses as a, as a way to tip the scales, mm-hmm. um, where, Hey, we might not be able to hit, give this person the same amount of money that they want, uh, because of the salaries that we pay our other existing employees, but Hey, we can get there with a sign-on bonus and guess what? We can attach that sign-on bonus to a length of stay. And so, you know, similarly to paying an agency fee to place someone, if, if a sign-on bonus helps to tip the scales, it also can help secure someone's um, relative retention where they may not want to leave and leave that on the, on the table. Um, you know, those are, those are a few things. You know, I've, I've faced this problem too. I mean, it's interesting right. because like I'm out there helping our clients to grow and, you know, it, it's just before this call, you and I talked how I just spoke with two uh, really good recruiters. And finding recruiters is incredibly, incredibly hard right now. Recruiting itself is, is, is an outstanding profession. The value of it within organizations has escalated tremendously through COVID and through this tight market. And so good recruiters are in really good demand. Yeah. And so for me, what used to be relatively easy to attract people, I'm now finding I have to do things differently too. And I have to have that resiliency to just keep going after it. And 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 keep uncovering things. And one of the things I'm I'm really receptive to now is um, looking at people who are outside of perhaps I, I used to have this you know this imperative that someone must have recruiting experience because mm-hmm. recruiting is really hard. It can right. eat you up and it can spit you out, but it's incredibly rewarding. And so I always wanted people to have tasted that that flavor of the business. But what I'm finding now is that. You know, people, for instance, in the real estate space, um, mm-hmm. which is also really tough to get in with, they have a lot of the qualities where they have client, they have buyers, and they have sellers. We have clients and we have talent. Or people from the retail space who are really good at, at, at customer service and maybe have had really good training programs and would love something where there's a, you know, a really high top end. You know, looking at people in the insurance industry where, you know, I mean, I had a friend of mine in the staffing business. She, she recently hired a kindergarten teacher to be a recruiter. And it in in how she said it is compared to, to teaching kindergartners, um, recruiting is a cakewalk. Yeah. Like kindergartners and then kindergartners' parents, like forget it. Recruiting, yeah. this is this is this is awesome. And so being receptive to like, hey, maybe there's other parallel industries that have similar aspects of in my world, candidate care, cultivating people through them. You know, whatever your industry is, listeners out there, maybe there's other, maybe you can be more open to hiring people from different industries and then adopting training programs. Cause right. I know that I know that VCs, I know that you know, parent companies, anyone who might acquire, they're looking at that kind of training effort as well. And so maybe that can be a different way to to hire. 
Yeah, no, I love it. And it, it was funny too, when you were talking about it, it's actually, if you, you can target some industries that aren't as tight right now, like real estate, for example, everyone thinks yeah. it's so crazy, right? But actually the, the real estate agents aren't doing that well because listings are at an all time low. Exactly. So, so there's a ton yep. of people out there searching for money. So, and, and I know a lot of us can get stuck in that um, situation where we're like, well, you have to have you know, in, in your world, recruiting experience, in my world, brokerage experience, right? But really what we're looking for is sales and customer service experience, right? And yeah. you can pull from that from a lot of different things. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I love some of your other points too about, you know, spinning your marketing and your content to elevate the company and also to, you know, attract some employees. I know you guys too, you've been recognized at BW Bacon as one of the best places to work in Colorado, right? Well, yeah, thank you. No, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's certainly an honor. And, you know, I I feel like as much as we've done through, you know, our years in business and working together, we've barely scratched the surface. Yeah. And so maybe that's one of the reasons we are honored because I think there's an element where um, there's always ways to improve. There's always ways to contribute. There's always ways to uh, adapt and, and, and grow. So yeah, um, I think that's true probably in, in every industry. But I was thinking too, it's also, if you're thinking about it, um, trying to attract employees, you know, rec- taking those recognitions, right. And those, oh, yeah. you know, and those honors can, can also help like you were talking about escalate and elevate the level of talent that you're bringing into a company. So if that's, there's awards like that, that might be something some owners could go after. That's a really good point. And those awards are abundantly available out there for every single industry. And I mean, the, the annual awards there and, you know, it, there's ways to self-nominate and, and be a part of them. There's, you know, um, <clears throat> I'm particularly grateful for those awards that co- have come to us where um, the governing body, if you will, did a lot of diligence because it's more meaningful yeah. to me. But um uh, those are certainly out there. And yeah, no doubt. We love hanging those plaques on our walls and, and the logos are prominently featured on our website. So yeah. no doubt about that. So there's one more thing I want to ask you to cover that we're talking about in the green room before we jumped on is how to manage candidates and this concept of having a pipeline. Cause I think that might be a new concept to a lot of our listeners. Yeah. I mean, in, in our world, candidate care is absolutely like fundamentally just, just, it's so important. And so that candidate experience um, is, is something that we really focus on that we really counsel a lot of our clients on. So in that, as, as a, as a, as an employer, you know, have you looked at your interview process and what you're doing, like, has that interview process changed over the last few years? And could it change? Could it be more efficient? Like, for instance, in our world, you know, uh, any more than three interviews and you're, you're risking losing, you know, the talent in a big way. Are there ways to combine those interviews into more panels, you know, and, or something like that? Are there other areas that you can, that you can do? Can you block one strategy that we have for people block out time every single week for interview scheduling and nothing gets put in that time except for interviews so that you're always available on those times and anyone assisting in the hiring process, any internal HR people can know that you're available then and plug someone in because scheduling itself can be really difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, Pipeline management, I think is super, super important, not just in the now, but for the future. 
Um, the best companies we work with are super attentive to pipeline management. And what I mean by that is that, you know, when, you know, they bring in a candidate, whether it's on the phone, Zoom or in person, you know, that they, that they, if they score the person or, you know, whatever it is they do to record notes on their experience of that interview, if they don't move forward with that person, but they're interested enough to where, hey, this could be a hire in the future. They, they have the systems, the communications in place to where they can cultivate and nurture that person on a go forward basis. They're, they're checking in with them every three to six months, you know, as opposed to just hoping they might be available in the future when that role suddenly opens up um, and, and really managing that in a simple way. We used to use a simple tool called Trello, which is a, it's a free piece of software. And we just use it as a central repository where everyone in the organization could have visibility into every single candidate that ever has ever talked to anyone. And as a CEO, that was super valuable to me. It was super valuable to our clients. We'd build these Trello boards for our clients where, you know, they have this immediate repository of like, hey, let's look back on some of these people. What about her? What about him? Like, oh yeah, I remember them. Like, get it back in. Yep. And hopefully you left that person with a good experience where look, not now, but maybe later. And they'll be, they'll be responsive to your phone call because at least then you're not starting from ground zero. And those people, as it turns out, have turned out to be really good forces of referrals as well. So, you know, that pipeline management is, is super key to, to um, establish with hiring managers internally, internal HR, with anyone outside of your workforce that you might work with. Yeah, all, all really good points. And we've got a ton of learning lessons to take away from here. You know, I love I love the pipeline management. I think that um, the actually the candidate experience too and thinking through like how are how is the candidate experiencing this process is is really a good deep dive to do with your leadership teams. And ask the candidates themselves. Yeah, right. You know? Ask I for mean, feedback. Yeah, whether they, yeah. I mean, how did you feel the interview? Like, especially those that you hired. Did you yeah. feel like, like we get a lot of feedback that the people actually would have liked to have been qualified more. You know, a lot of interviewers will go in and it's maybe it's a bro interview or, you know, they're yeah. talking about sports instead of talking about the job or, you know, they're talking, you know, the interviewer is talking all about themselves, but not, you know, uh, the, the person. They didn't leave room for the, the candidate to ask questions at the end or there's any number of things that if you get that feedback from the people you've hired about their experience can be super valuable, like immediate changes to help improve the process. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I'm going to go back and ask some of our recent hires about their experience too. Yeah, so, good. yeah. So one thing I know about you, Dave, is that um, personally and professionally, you're very resilient, right? And now we are, we're in this, this time period where it's difficult for business owners to hire. And this is a major business challenge. So um, I want to have you just leave everybody with some words of wisdom of what kind of mindset should they have in this market right now? I, I love it. Well, and thank you. And yeah, I feel like this, this core element of resiliency is, is both uh, prominent in, in our world right now and also vastly like missing, like, or it's like, it's just really hard to be resilient. It's, it's hard to be, you know, like my, my greatest Clifton strength is positivity, but it is exhausting to always be positive 
when the future is as uncertain as it's ever been. And it seems, you know, what, you know when's, what's the next shoe going to drop with a natural disaster or, you know, wearing masks or someone, you know, really getting sick or, you know, heaven forbid, die. You know, all these things are, it's, it's hard to be resilient. But in the, in the hiring space, um, I don't know that there's any other fuel that can lead to, you know, a positive outcome than the fuel of resiliency. And, you know, I think that that means to be resilient means, you know, to never rest on your laurels. And meaning that, you know, we've discussed this, use outbound strategies, use inbound strategies, try this, try that. That's being resilient by constantly trying something different, finding what's working, because sooner or later, it'll, it'll fall your way and someone will fall your way. Look at people who are in a different industry who, who embody the core skill sets like sales and customer service that you and I both need in our jobs. But, um, and so all those things, I think, um, uh, fall under this, this, um, um, you know, this pursuit of resiliency. And I think that being resilient is, um, is, is something that when you are resilient, it reflects well on everyone. And for me, like, 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 I feel like I'm best when I'm bringing the best out of others because it brings the best out of me. And if I am being resilient, then they're going to be resilient. And it turns into a virtuous circle. I love it. I love it. Yeah, resiliency will get us all through this. You know, all markets change. This will not last. But if you put in these great hiring practices, they'll only help your company in the future. They'll also make your company more valuable to buyers. So yeah, I hope everyone's gotten a lot out of our talk today. Dave, why don't you tell everybody if they want to learn more about you or follow you online, how do they get in touch and how do they learn more about your firm, BW Bacon? Sure. Well, I I started the company in 2001. I wanted to call it Macon Bacon, but the (laughs) name, the name was taken. In 2001? Yeah, in 2001. And I went to the Secretary of State's website. And then um, I looked up Better with Bacon and Better with Bacon was available. So I found it then. It was in 2009 that I registered the trade name BW Bacon Group. Um, So that BW is Better With. So our website is is www.bwbacon.com. And my Instagram is Big Air Bacon. And uh, if you wanted to go there, that's always fun that, you know, that's more about my adventures around the world and and, and things that I, I love to do that that actually fuel me and my business in ways too, in a really unorthodox, uh, and, and, uh, you know, and I, I like to thread adventure into my business as, as many ways as possible. And, um, you know, cause look, uh, the master is he or she who makes no distinction between his or her work and, and his or her play. So I hope we can all find a way to get there. It's not easy. I but, know. Right. Well, we'll leave it with that. I love that end quote. Dave, thank you so much for being on. Listeners, we'll drop Dave's information into our show notes. And uh, we hope to have you back on the show again sometime soon. Thanks, Jessica. Seize the day. Hey, Andy, do you know what time it is? It's time for our deal of the week. Deal of the week. Sold. Hi, welcome back, everybody. This week for our deal of the week, we have Sasha joining us from our Transworld Business Advisors of Colorado team. And Sasha, you just closed um, a, a great business. Tell us a little bit about the business that just sold. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, the business that I just sold is a high-end mental health outpatient practice in Denver that started in 2012. Um, And the practice provides clinical services for teens and adults experiencing mental health issues. 
Cool. So it sounds like it's a great business. Founder did a great job establishing a good reputation in the local environment. Tell us like, what about the buyer? Where did the buyer um, come from? And, you know, why are they such a good buyer for this business? Absolutely. Yes. The buyer is actually one of the therapists or uh, slash employees, uh, full-time employees of the business. Uh, We did initially list the business um, online just to see what kind of activity we can get. And that I think reinforced the belief into this business from this employee once she was able to see the numbers and everything in front of her. Um, And yeah, she just decided this is a too good of an opportunity to pass up. And uh, she stepped up to the plate and we uh, concluded the process successfully. Nice. So it's always great too for the legacy of the business to have that continuation. So great situation. So let's let's talk about the numbers, right? So tell us a little bit about how much the business sold for and then how was the deal structured? Was there seller financing involved or anything like that? Yeah, the, the business was 100% SBA financed. The purchase price was $350,000, which we got at a 3.15 uh, multiple to get to that. And uh, the reason why we, we were able to get uh, such a high price point is because of the demand. Uh, this is a growing industry uh, and demand is very strong for these type of businesses. That's great. So 3.15 on seller's discretionary earnings, SDE, correct? That's right. That's correct. And SBA financing, very popular now, a great way to finance a business transaction, um, especially for somebody that has experience in that industry and that business. Absolutely. So, Sasha, if someone wants to learn a little bit more about your practice or buying and selling a business in Colorado, how would they reach out to you? Yes, absolutely. My email address is S as in Sam, B as in boy, O-R, C as in cat. I, C as in cat, at tworld.com. And my phone number is 720-780-8665. So please feel free to reach out. And we'll drop that information to the show notes for our audio listeners as well. Sasha, thank you so much for joining us on the deal board. And we hope to have you back again soon. Amazing. Thank you very much for having me again. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Deal Board. And we have a very special guest with us. We have Royal Oaks of Hinson and Culbertson. Did I say that correctly, Royal? You were close. It's Hinshaw and Culbertson. Hinshaw. Hinshaw and Culbertson. Uh, He is a longtime defense attorney, works with uh, many employers. Uh, On top of that, he is an NBC, NBC contributor, has been on many uh, television shows, uh, talking uh, legal, being their legal uh, con- consultant. And he also has a his own podcast called Too Many Lawyers with his son, Connor. So that's a perfect uh, segue right into our conversation. There's a lot of lawyers out there. And we mostly, our audience is uh, small business people and, and business brokers and people who do deals. And we certainly see our fair share as small business people, uh, litigation issues. And so we thought it'd be a great time just to talk about that, how people could kind of stay out of trouble. And uh, you have some ideas of that. And certainly your podcast talks about it. And I was listening to it earlier. So why don't you give us a little bit of an intro and then we could start our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you uh, having me on your podcast. It's so challenging these days trying to uh, maneuver through the business world. I mean, as if you didn't have enough problems with you know, the pandemic and, and the supply chain issues and you know, all the regulations by the government. 
Um, on top of that, for litigation to be a worry, it's, it's really a drag on productivity. It's a drag on morale. One big question that companies constantly face and have for, for many decades is, how do you avoid getting sued when you have to let somebody go? And the short answer is that the longer you create a paper trail and the more thorough that paper trail is in terms of warnings and problems, the better it is. And of course, it goes against the grain. You, you want to have a good relationship with your employees and workers. So you don't want to be taking them aside and you're yelling at them. You don't want to put stuff in their file. The problem is if you don't, and then if you do have to let them go, the absence of the paper trail can make you look like the bad guy. They can say, well, this came out of the blue and how am I going to feed my family and et cetera. When if you had taken a little time to record the problems, maybe do it in a diplomatic way, but make sure that the, the file is thorough, then you'd be in much better situ a much better situation. I, I think the bottom line is you want to think about when you're contemplating letting somebody go, how might this be perceived? Will it be seen as retaliatory? Will it be seen as discriminatory? So make sure that it doesn't look that way. Make sure it isn't that kind of thing. And the, the bigger and the, the more extensive your file in terms of possible problems that led to the termination decision, the better. Yeah, I've seen that certainly firsthand in my own firm where people, you know, of course you let someone go and there's always a a reason why they think they got let go that is beyond uh, their actual job performance. And, you know, if they have an attorney friend or family member, they right. always seem to come up and with their hand out. And I think you made a good point. You know, one of the things that we've seen out there recently is uh, my insurance broker asked if I wanted coverage for that. Are you seeing more of that these days? Absolutely. And that, that can be huge because the cost of litigation can just be devastating to a company that maybe doesn't have a giant amount of cash sitting around. Uh, and now they're facing a lawsuit and the lawyers are saying, well, that'll be 200 bucks, 300, $400 an hour to defend you. And there's no guarantee that it's going to be a happy day at the end of, of the lawsuit. You may have to spend a lot of money defending yourself for years, and then you might lose since, let's face it, juries are made up of people who probably during their lifetime have been fired and don't think of very kind thoughts about employers sometimes. So it's, it's a huge burden. And if you have insurance, employee, employment liability insurance, or maybe an umbrella policy that would cover you, a general liability policy that would have some clauses that could cover you, that can make an enormous difference. And so it's amazing. Sometimes people get sued or, or threatened with suits and they just assume, well, I don't think I have that kind of insurance. I, I don't think that that could help me. But they really should go to an expert, whether it's a broker or a lawyer specializing in insurance coverage and, and come up with every scrap of paper, every conceivable policy, endorsement, amendment that might help them fend off a lawsuit, pay for a defense, pay a settlement, pay a judgment if you lose. You never know if there's something lurking there in the coverage that might help you. So yeah, you should take a hard look at what you have now and go to your broker and say, hey, you know, I'm sure it wouldn't be cheap, but what would I have to pay to get some coverage in case I get sued for an employment-related matter? Yeah, I, we've seen that. And also uh, being dragged into different courts is even different. Like, so we got dragged into a federal court case on a bankruptcy 
and you have no control over the costs. You have no control how long it's going to last. And like you said, it can be very, very expensive. And you talked, and I was kidding about too many lawyers out there, but we consider lawyers our friends. We use many of them to get the deal done. And one of the things we always stress is make sure you have a lawyer that knows what they're doing in that practice. And you were just bringing out the point that, uh, you know, you, you need someone that's an expert in, in, in employment law to make sure you can look for those things like insurance. That's right. And, you know, the problem is when people need a lawyer, it kind of comes out of the blue. Sometimes, you know, if it's a really huge company, like big insurance companies, they're institutional litigants. They have a big legal department. They have a general counsel and a bunch of lawyers running around working for the general counsel. So they know the, the deal and they know how to be prepared. But most people aren't prudential or metropolitan life or equitable. Most people, it's, it's a weird kind of out of the blue thing uh, to be dealing with a legal issue. And so what do you do if it looks like you need either legal help uh, identifying insurance coverage or, or legal help defending yourself? So you don't know who to go to. So often you go to people who you think might be able to help you have a recommendation, maybe a, a lawyer who deals in a field that is, has nothing to do with this, but it's a lawyer friend of yours. The problem is recommendations sometimes are a result of the fact that the lawyer recommending somebody else has a personal relationship. They, you know, they went to high school with them or they used to work with them or whatever. It doesn't necessarily mean that those people are really good or really expert at what they do. It's kind of like a medical situation. I, I, you know, I've seen over, over the course of my lifetime, times when you reach out and you try to find out who the good doctors are and you get a recommendation of somebody and it turns out that person wasn't so great. It just, they were recommended because the person you asked happened to have a link with them. So the solution is don't just blindly take a recommendation. When you get somebody on the phone or a meeting with them as a potential lawyer, ask them the hard questions like how many cases like this have you handled? How many trials have you had pertaining to this issue? How have the trials turned out? Uh, what are the, what is the strategy you would argue or, or submit to me as the path to a favorable prompt resolution of this? Flesh it out for me. Those are the hard questions that people are, are really reluctant to ask because it's not their field. They don't want the lawyer to feel like you're questioning their competence, but you really should. And you might be shocked by the answers. You might find somebody basically has never tried a case in this area. They haven't been doing it that long. So just protect yourself. Try to get uh, as much information about a lawyer uh, as possible because you may be joined at the hip with them for a long time. It could be very expensive. So upfront, you want to try to stop any problems. That's great advice. And we've certainly, I've, I've seen that in a few cases and having the right lawyer is key, especially understanding their motivations and understanding their, their background, because that's how you could get things done uh, quickly. So let's just talk a little bit more about uh, small business. You see a lot of issues out there. Uh, we were talking uh, offline uh, in our emails back and forth that you're seeing some employers talk about COVID issues, whether or not they could require people with vaccines or not. Why don't you give a little, a little light on that subject as well? Yeah, companies are wondering, gee, how hard can I lean on folks to get vaccinated? And the uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission actually has come out with uh, an interpretation of the law. And they said, yeah, the boss has a right to say to a worker, either you get vaccinated or you are history. 
The problem is a lot of companies don't want to be seen as the bad guy pushing people around. You have some folks with moral objections. You have some people with religious objections. And so some giant companies are on record as saying, look, we're not going to force you, but we really strongly encourage it. It's sometimes they actually give financial incentives, gift cards and so on to, to get people to get vaccinated. So it's a tough call. The difficulty is if you don't force them to get vaccinated and then somebody gets sick and then somebody finds a lawyer and sues you saying, oh, it was an unsafe environment that you created. You could have insisted that Joe get his uh, shot, but you didn't. So uh, everybody has to weigh the risks and, and determine how the uh, what the effect will be of your corporate decision on the workforce. But the fact is you do have a right to insist on the shots and there is a certain risk level if you don't insist on it. Hmm. Interesting. So many other things that we see in deals. Uh, sometimes we work a lot in the construction industry. So we see a lot of people trying to save money by making all their employees independent contractors and or trying to reclassify people with their uh, workers comp insurance. <laughs> they, they, they have, they have uh, 50 secretaries and one guy that climbs on a roof. <laughs> so right. You know, why don't you give a little light on that? Because you know, part of our issue when we're going to do deals, our people are going to sell their business. They have to have their house in order. So what are some of the things on that side that you see that are usually not in order or get them in trouble? Yeah, classification of workers has become a really big issue in recent years. And it usually boils down to, well, are these folks independent contractors or are they employees? And of course, it's hugely important because if you're an independent contractor, it means that you pay your own expenses, you don't get overtime, you don't get a minimum wage type situation, and the independent contractor is theoretically their own boss. They generally can come and go when they wish. The difficulty is it's become kind of political and legal. It was political, for example, in 2016 when Hillary Clinton actually touched on it. And she said, you know, I don't think it's fair. All these people out there who deserve their health benefits and their their uh, all, all sorts of other benefits of being an employee, they're not getting them because mean uh, bosses are characterizing them as independent contractors, forcing them to pay their own expenses. And so that carried over into the legal realm. And in recent years, especially in California, it's become a huge hornet's nest. The California Supreme Court a few years ago came out with a big decision that essentially said there are virtually no independent contractors. Because what the decision said, among other things, is that if the person who is working for you is working in the general field of, the, of your endeavor, then he or she is an employee. For example, if you are an insurance company and you have a plumbing leak and you bring the plumber in, well, he's an independent contractor because plumbing is not insurance. But if you're an insurance company and you have agents who sell insurance, then they're automatically employees and entitled benefits because they are in the field of your business, which is insurance. Now, there are exceptions. The legislature and the courts have helped carve out a few exceptions so that maybe insurance agents aren't necessarily employees or maybe uh, journalists who submit pieces to newspapers at a certain rate, maybe they aren't employees. But in general, if you're working in the same field, then you're an employee. And that they think of the gig economy, you know, the Uber and the Lyft drivers. Well, that's the business of Uber is driving folks around and the drivers are in the business of driving folks around. Therefore, they're automatically employees. And so Uber and Lyft have been, you know, fighting like crazy to resist this. And it of course, it makes a huge difference in terms of their bottom line, and you know they have to pass on price increases. So it is a combined political 
and legal issue. But the important thing for small businesses to remember is that there are gigantic penalties in many states for misclassifying somebody. If you don't pay the minimum wage and, and if you don't give people the benefits, you're going to not only have to pay this stuff retroactively, but you're also going to have to pay all sorts of penalties to the state. So you want to get a lot of good guidance uh, in terms of how you classify people because it's much more important now than it was five or 10 years ago. And the other thing that we've been dealing with, even in my own company, is the, the, the overtime issue, right? So you yes. have hourly employees that kind of work like, uh, and you're not paying attention to breaks and you're not paying attention to overtime. And then these people come back after they're gone and sue you for overtime. So we've been very uh, looking to move up their rate uh, because they're close to that uh, threshold where you pay them on a salary and you can get away with it. And there's some management things, uh, classifications like that. But you've have you seen a lot of that kind of work as well? Absolutely. And that's hugely important, even separate and apart from the whole misclassification angle, because as you're suggesting, let's assume a situation where there's no question the folks are employees and therefore they are entitled to meal breaks and rest breaks and overtime. And if, you know, depending on how many hours they work, more than the time and a half or double, they're entitled to statements indicating what their wages were and that they were paid. They're entitled to paperwork at the end of the employment relationship. And because of all these requirements and because of the big penalties for violating their requirements, you're seeing a lot of litigation, not only individual cases where one or two people would sue a company, but class actions. And it's always the same laundry list of things. You didn't pay minimum wage. You didn't, didn't give meal breaks. You didn't give rest breaks. You didn't uh, pay overtime. You didn't give the statements with the proper pay stub information. And the penalties add up and the interest add up, and it can be just gigantic and be devastating and drive companies into bankruptcy. So you want to make sure that your procedures are absolutely rigorously followed, that they absolutely comply with the law. And for that, you probably need to bring in some, some consultants or lawyers to, to look over your procedures to make sure your handbook, the way you do business, is in fact precisely complying with the current law. And, and you mentioned one thing that I listened to your podcast uh, recently uh, that you covered uh, the minimum wage increase and happened, you actually mentioned Florida, 60 something percent voted for an increase to minimum wage over the next, I think it's three years. Uh, but you're seeing that across the country, this push to move to $15 an hour. Yeah. And it's controversial in the sense that um, a lot of economists think that the higher minimum wage uh, it can be very helpful for, for some people bringing them out of poverty. I think the Congressional Budget Office said maybe 900,000 people would be lifted out of poverty if we boosted the federal minimum wage, say, to $15 an hour. But the same uh, consultants, or that is experts, said that 1.4 million people would lose their jobs because a lot of companies who are maybe operating on the margin, they don't have a whole lot of money lying around, but they're gonna say, oh my gosh, I, I gotta pay an extra 10, 15, 25% uh, in terms of wages. I'm gonna fire people. I'm not gonna hire people. I'm gonna move folks around. I'm gonna reduce their hours and so on. So it's, it's a controversial issue. You have a lot of politicians who love to say to the public, hey, we're gonna uh, vote for me. I'm gonna give you 15 or $20 an hour, uh, but it does have an economic impact. So. Obviously, 
uh, you know, we can't control what the politicians do so much, but from a business standpoint, small businesses can can take a hard look at their bottom line and they're going to have to make some decisions as to whether they uh, whether they reduce their workforce uh, as a result of, of the minimum wage requirements. I mean, some people say, you know, it doesn't really make sense. If society's attitude is folks deserve a living wage and therefore we'll force companies to pay not a dollar or two dollars an hour, but what we think is a living wage. Okay, but why should businesses, some of whom are right on the margin, on the edge, why should small businesses have to finance this when it might force them into bankruptcy or force them to fire people? If we as a society think people are entitled to a living wage, then raise taxes. Let everybody on a progressive tax basis share in the burden of making sure people get a living wage. So there's that political consideration. But so far, uh, the folks in Washington, I think, are just leaning toward, well, let's just bump up the minimum wage. Yeah, listen, they even talked about a minimum income or, you know, passive income uh, for people that, you know, don't work. Uh, right. so should there be a national law? Yeah, it was certainly a lot of debates, a lot of issues for small businesses. What else are you seeing out there just kind of as a catch-all to, to wrap this up? What what other issues do you think small businesses, when they're, you know, to get in compliance before they sell uh, w- w- or just to stay out of trouble? I mean, litigation costs are, are can be devastating, as you said, to a small business. Uh, what else are you seeing out there that they, they should watch out for? Well, the termination of folks' employment is always a hot topic. And if you sometimes it's tempting to let several people go at once for various economic reasons or because you're dealing with mergers and so on. And it's very risky because if you look at the demographics of the people that you are terminating all at once or in a short period of time, some people might look at the demographics and infer, oh, so you're letting all the old folks go. Or, oh my gosh, all the people of color seem to have been let go. Uh, So that results in a lawsuit. So when you are thinking about firing more than one or two people for whatever business reasons, make sure you look at the demographic issues Mm. because uh, that that can be buying yourself a lawsuit. The other issue uh, on terminations is good cause. You don't always need good cause. I mean, nobody really comes out and says, our policy is we fire people for no reason at all. Instead, what they say is, we of course have a good reason every time we fire somebody, but please look at the law in our state and it says we don't need good cause. We don't need to prove we had good cause in court in order to win a termination suit. So you have to ask yourself, if you if you don't think you have good cause, it, it might be a little risky. Sometimes the law says you don't need good cause, but there are exceptions, for example, in California, uh, if you're there for 20 or 30 years, the courts sometimes say, well, there was an implication that you had good cause for the firing. So a real careful look at the grounds for termination is what employers should do. Great. All great advice uh, for small business people and business, anybody, really, when you're buying a company, you want to look into these things because there be could be liabilities beforehand as well. So you want an expert in your corner and uh, and get some more information. You could listen to uh, Royal and his son Connor on their podcast. Uh, too, too, has it too many lawyers? <laughs> too many lawyers. Yeah, too it sort of lawyers. implies it implies that where we think there are too many lawyers, but we just picked it because it was kind of catchy. And the the, uh, the fun part is that I'm the guy who's always right. I'm the libertarian, and he's progressive. I'm the baby boomer. He's the millennial. I'm the dad. He's the son. So we kind of mix it up and we disagree about everything, but we do it in kind of a fun, respectful way. Uh, so, I mean, I'm the kind of guy that if I see people screaming at each other on cable TV, I turn it off. Who needs it? 
So we wanted to be sort of the uh, the opposite of that. And uh, so far, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been great. It's it, it's very friendly back and forth. But yeah, they they definitely have those two different perspectives. Uh, Royal, if they want to get in touch with you else elsewhere, how best to do that? If- yeah, actually, the easiest way is just uh, at Royal Oaks uh, on Twitter and uh, be happy to respond. I appreciate that. Thanks for coming on today. Appreciate you being a guest. Look forward to talking to you again one day soon. My pleasure. Thank you. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time? Almost. It's time for Listing of the Week. Welcome back, everybody. It is Listing of the Week live from the Expo. We have Alf Yakovich, our partner from Transport Business Advisors of Colorado. Welcome back, Al. Thanks for having me, Andy. Glad so- to be here. Tell us about this awesome deal. All right. This awesome deal is a concrete deal on the Western Slope of Colorado. Over $2 million in earnings per year. Tracking even better this year. We're priced at $5.9 million. We can include the real estate. It's an amazing company with a great backlog. Mix of commercial, residential work. Great company. Nice. And nice uh, lifestyle business, too. Great area to live. But if someone's interested in a business like this, how can they contact you, Al? They can contact me. You can call me 720-357-6853 or email me albert, A-L-B-E-R-T, at tworld.com. Great business. Thanks, Al. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the show today. If you like the podcast, share it with your friends on social media. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions, would like to appear or have suggestions for topics for the show, get in contact with us through our website, thedealboardpodcast.com. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.